Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome listeners joining us across the country. Hey, when is enough faith enough? How do I get that enough faith? What if you had to prove you were a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of Yeshua Hamashiach? What if you had to prove it? Would the evidence convince or convict you? And I'm also going to talk today about how to win the case for your faith every single time. A lot of folks are asking me about our little gathering. By the way, we're meeting in a house, happens to be my house today, and uh, we are enjoying good food. People ask me all the time, hey, do you really have food? We have fried chicken. No, we have fried chicken. We have two different kinds of chicken, don't we? Fried chicken, rosemary uh, cooked chicken in the New Wave oven. We have uh, incredible deviled eggs. We have a beautiful salad, all kinds of cheese. Uh, and they brought the crack. Somebody brought the crack. I can't believe it. The uh, Lancaster, who brought that? Lancaster Vanilla and Caramel Soft Creams. Wes brought those. We can't go far. We have a homemade ice cream pie and ice cream. So we have our priorities right, don't we? So we're all comfortable here. Uh, We're expecting more people. So if you hear any barking there in Internet land, uh, that's only my ferocious watchdog, Buckeye. She is my, you hear me talk about her a lot in my speeches and on my Monday show. But a lot of people ask us about our little gathering. They say, what and how are you doing what you're doing? Well, this is how we do it in our Kehala. I don't know how other people do it in theirs, but this is how we do it in ours. We are politically incorrect. We cut straight. We cut it straight, and we go straight to the point. We are unmistakably pro-Israel, and we make no apology for being pro-Israel and pro-America. I am the Black Robe Regiment. We use, we try to use the appropriate the appropriate and the accurate Hebrew words and meanings for the characters, places, and lessons in Scripture. The Scriptures were given to us through the blood of many brave men and women, most of whom are Jewish, as is our Messiah. I don't pretend to be Jewish, although I would be proud to be Jewish. Remember this, the the pens of the Bible are being held by predominantly Hebrew people, teaching us through their shared struggle and experiences of faith. The Hebrew people are the origin of our faith. They knew, loved, and worshipped God long before we even knew his name. 
Yeshua is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. The English spelling for Iesus is Jesus. It's like the game of telephone played over 2,000 years. I chose to just cut out the middleman in the thousands of years and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. And now, here you go. This is something that's very important if you're listening to us. This is very, very important. I almost forget every week to do this. Follow and subscribe here at blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. And if you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us on Twitter at the Ninja Pastor. And on Facebook, click on sign up at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. So important to do that. Also, our website, The Ninja Pastor, is currently uh, down for, we're actually rebuilding it. You'll actually be able to listen, and at some point in the very near future, watch whenever I give speeches. And at some point, you'll be able to subscribe and watch our Monday show. You'll be able to hear it and, and, and watch it. Remember, the chat room is open for your questions and comments. Um, this is where we stopped last week. We may actually finish early this week. Who here thinks I will finish early this week? Nobody's betting on that. So the odds in Vegas aren't good that I'm actually going to finish early. But check this out. This is some news. If I finish early, guess what this week is? It is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And I mean that, including my own mother, although she doesn't have the Internet or a computer or a touch-tone phone, but that's not the point. <laughs> no, today, if I finish today, if I actually finish today, that'll be the end of our first and second Corinthians study. Come on, nobody believes that. Nobody believes I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> but what do we do after this? What do we do after this? Thessalonians. Thessalonians. And by the time... I get my uh, mouth appliance off. It will be uh, the, the June 5th, so I'll actually be able to say Thessalonians without struggling. So 2 Corinthians 12.9, that's where we stopped last week. But he told me my grace, by the way, let me stop here just before I go. Uh, our condolences to Jill and John uh, and the loss of Jill's father, our very gracious host. Um, what, what, what an amazing blessing uh, Jill has been to her father. He lived to be almost 95 and a half. So, and I credit a lot of that to Jill and her amazing care. Her care exceeded anything that any medical facility could provide, and the love that she gave to her father uh, was absolutely astounding. What a, what a testimony to the love of Christ and the love and dedication of a, of a child, even until... in, in and they're busy people, to have cared for him the way they did. She is to be honored, especially on Mother's Day. So anyway, Second uh, Corinthians 12.9. But he told me, my grace is enough for you. Well, how much grace is enough? For my power, how much power is enough, is brought to per perfection in weakness. Therefore, I am very happy to boast about my weaknesses in order that the Messiah's power will rest upon me. Yes, I am well pleased with weaknesses. Weaknesses here are just hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Insults, 
hardships, persecutions, and difficulties endured on behalf of the Messiah. For it is when I am weak that I am strong. How much strength is enough? How much strength is enough? I have be- This is number 11. I have behaved like a fool, but you forced me to do it. You who should have been commending me, for I am in no way inferior to the super emissaries, even if I am nothing. Let me say that again. This is the Apostle Paul. You know him to be the Apostle Paul, those who are in the radio land and new listeners. Uh, but his real name is not Paul. See, Paul has nothing to do with his name at all. It's Shaul. And they weren't called apostles. They were called emissaries. So uh, he is an emissary. And what he's referring to as the super emissaries is he is saying the, the, apost- the, the, the disciples that walked with Christ, the, those who spent time, the twelve. Um, but, he, but he is saying here, for I am in no way inferior to the super emissaries, even if I am nothing. Verse 12, the things that prove... I am an emissary. Signs, wonders, and miracles were done in your presence, despite what I had to endure. How much proof is enough? Who is it that we're to convince of our faith? The th- I'm going to read this again so you don't miss it. The things that prove I am an emissary, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done in your presence. Who is he saying that did those things? He's saying, I did those things. Shaul, I, Shaul, did these things. I, the Apostle Paul, the emissary Paul, I did these things. These things prove that I'm an emissary. They were done in your presence, despite what I had to endure. Does it seem to you like he's trying to convince these folks that he is who he says he is and he is what he he says he is? How much proof is enough? Who are you to convince? Is there any way in which you've been behind any of the other congregations other than in my not having been a burden to you for this unfairness? Please forgive me. He's saying, hey, if I've been unfair in how much time and effort I've spent among the other congregations, please forgive me. How much forgiveness is enough? Look, I am ready this third time to come and visit you. And I will not be a burden to you. Well, how many times did he go? How many times did he visit them? Three. This will be his third time. He's writing a letter saying, I'm coming again. So this will be his third time. This will, this will, so he's been, you're absolutely right, Susan. It, it was two times. Two times. And so he, uh, he, this will be his third when he goes this next time. Was it an easy trip to get from where he was to Corinth? No trip for Shaul was easy because he was hated. He was hunted. Uh, he had that, Remember last week we talked about that thorn in his side? We don't know what it was. Could it have been epilepsy? Could it have been uh, stuttering of some sort? Could it have been, did you know that? That it's believed uh, some theologians actually say that it could have very well have been epilepsy. Could have been any number of things, but it was a thorn in his side. So even if everything was really, really easy outside of that, that in and of itself was an incredible struggle. Look, I am ready this third time to come and visit you, and I will not be a burden to you, for it is not what you own that I want. Look, I'm not coming to get your 
your tithes and your offerings. I'm not coming to scoop up whatever gold or myrrh or whatever good stuff you have. I'm not coming to swipe that. I'm not coming to hoodwink you or trick you out of what you what you would what you would like not even what you would like for me to have, but what you the stuff you have. You know, you ever go to somebody's house and you think, Oh my land, that's just so pretty. I would just love to have something like that. I've been to whole houses like that. I've been to houses where I I look at the house and I say to myself, my lands, what a house. You know, I have friends uh, in the southern part of Delaware, and I go into their homes and I look and I think, my lands, what a house. Big, beautiful, so well designed, so well presented, beautiful artwork on the walls. I like a lot of artwork, but still, I don't have very much on my walls. I need to start printing up some of my photographs and putting them on the walls. So what I'm saying is, is if you ever go into a house and you, you really like something in their home, well, he's saying, look, I don't want your stuff. I don't want your stuff. He's already talked about the, you know, going back to the Old Testament, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out its grain. You know, he's saying, hey, you get to share in the, I don't want to say spoils, but if you get to share, then guess what? You know, then I deserve to be cared for. I deserve to be cared for. So we've already talked about that. But this, what I'm about to say, is a Hebrew idiom and custom. I'm going to say it really slow. I will not be a burden to you. Now he's talking about the third time he's coming to visit you. I will not be a burden to to you, for it is not what you own that I want, but you. He's not saying I want your service. He's not saying I want your attendance at church service. I'm not want you on Wednesday night prayer service, Tuesday night visitation, Thursday night mission, um, Saturday church cleanup, Sunday for bus ministry, Sunday for Sunday school, Sunday for deacons meeting after church. Of course, you're going to be at church, and then Sunday night service. He's not saying any of those things. That's nowhere, nowhere in his thought. He's not saying. You, you want to know why? Because they didn't have any of those things. They didn't have any of those things. They had nothing at all. They, they, they had a gathering that, to the best of their ability, they gathered together. Um, you know, everybody thinks it was on a certain day and all this stuff, but they gathered together whenever they could. They craved, they craved that. They craved to be together on those times. This is what they wanted. But you know what? He didn't want their stuff. He didn't want their their service necessarily. He didn't want them to, you know, get on the trustees board, you know, uh, the, the church beautification committee. He didn't want them to be head of the Women's Missionary Union or the Sunday School Board. He didn't want them to be a deacon or chairman of deacons or choir director, any of those things. He didn't want any of those things. It was much more simple than that. He just wanted them. He wanted, and what is the them? What is the you? In in Hebrew uh, tradition, when someone says, I want you, uh, God refers to us as human beings as nephesh, the being that prays. It's a very similar word that's used here that he's saying in the Hebrew. He's saying, I want all of you. I want your heart. I want your intent. Remember last week we talked about intent. There are times where intent really, really, really is important. There are times when if, if you don't get your intent right, nothing else will be right. Have you ever known anybody to do great things? Boy, they do great things. 
they are they're so good they're so good hearted their their heart is uh, uh just really really in a great place but they but for some reason nothing ever comes out right they try to do good things either they never finish uh or they finish poorly they run out of steam then you know other people i'm sure that you know that their intent is not good they want to appear good they want to be, you know, they want to win the most Christ-like award, the little trophy at the end of the Sunday school year. They they want that. They want accolade and recognition. But you know that that's not where their heart is because you've seen them. You've been with them in the hunting blind or you've been with them when they were challenged out in public when you and you and them went to breakfast or went to lunch together. You've seen them when they were challenged and and every time that they're challenged the real them comes to the surface, not the pretend them that a lot of people put on in churches across America today. I'm not meaning to say that at all. I'm talking about the real them. When the challenge hits them, when the feces hits the circular wind device and everything is falling apart, what happens then to these people? How do they, how do they respond to the challenges of life? Some people's intent just simply isn't good. But have you known people like that, that fit that description, their intent is is poor. It's self-centered. It's not altruistic at all. It's not for the kingdom. You know what? There's one statement I can't stand to hear. I'll just tell you right now. I can't stand when people manipulate church words in order to get people in the, in the natural to do things for them. Uh, I just read a job, a job announcement for uh a, it it's it's not a charity but it's a it's a kind of a sort of a volunteer organization um but they they want to hire somebody uh air quotes hire but at the end of this long list of things that they're going to have to do and they need to be able to do and all this stuff they say if you were thinking about well I wonder how much this pays if I can afford to do it you're probably not the right one for the job you need to be kingdom focused you need to be kingdom minded here's a news flash because you get paid to do something doesn't make you any less kingdom focused or kingdom minded that's just a man is worthy of his wage and so the fact of the matter is um we we i'm not against i'm not against paying people appropriately the problem is the the really big problem here is is when we separate when we delineate between intent uh where your where your heart is where where are you inside what's driving you that's the you paul shaul is talking about here he's not talking about what have you produced cuz remember he said i don't want what's in your house i don't want your your business proceeds i don't want any of those things what i really want what i really need for the kingdom and in his case they didn't think there would ever be an us, uh, a you, me. They never did. I'm here to tell you, they didn't think it would go that far. They didn't think that life would be life this side of the veil would be that long. None of them did. They had a huge history to look back on, but we know by the writings of Josephus and, and others that they didn't have the impression that it was going to be a long life that they lived. They, they believed that time was short short in this from the sense of you know not certainly not 2000 years to we're arriving here they had no concept of that 
They had no concept of that at all. So I want you, before I move on, I want really, 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 I really want to make sure we understand what I'm saying here and what Shaul is saying here. When he says, let's go back to it. I'm going to read this in context. Is there any way in which you have been behind any of the other congregations other than my not having been a burden to you for this unfairness? Please forgive me. Remember the question I asked, how much forgiveness is enough? Look, I am ready this third time to come and visit you, and I will not be a burden to you, for it is not what you own that I want. Let me, let me just go back. I'm going to really be clear about this. Ownership in Hebrew culture and in this culture where people's stuff was being taken from them by the government, uh, people's citizenship was being questioned. Paul had dual citizenship. He was both a Roman citizen and he was uh, a Jew. And so he could move freely uh, as he wished until they found out, hey, this guy's real trouble. And then everybody hated them. Uh, the people that did, were non-Messianic, the Jews that were non-Messianic, they were after him. Hey, you're causing us some real trouble here. And the people that were uh, were uh, Romans, they hated him too because he was stirring up this uh, followers of the way. So it was a real problem. But stuff you owned in this time where people had very little, quite frankly. People had very, very little. They didn't have a lot of stuff. I'm so blessed. I live in a tiny, you guys see, I live in a tiny little house. Um, I think it's twelve or 1,300 square feet, little bitty house. And I'm here to say there's some folks that have a lot less than that. And I feel totally blessed to have what I have. I know people that live in 33,000 square foot homes. And they have, that's one of their homes. I know a guy personally who has a 51,000 square foot home. And that's not his only home. And the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, the most generous man you'd ever want to meet, he employs 127 or 129 people in the running of his home every year. They work 127 to 129 people. uh, And he pays them well and he treats them beautifully. My point in all that is stuff you own back then. When he says, when Shaul says, It's it's not what you own that I want, but you. What he was saying in Hebrew custom, given all that was going on, nothing you have to you, to me, to God, to the kingdom, is anywhere near as important as you, all of you. He goes on to say, children are not supposed to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I am very fortunate. I have two kids, who uh, Lily and Doyle, who they have the most tender hearts, and they're always thinking about what they do in the future, where they live, where they work, all of these things, even down to the properties that they have, they want their parents to be with them. They they say, you know, mostly me, they want Poppy to be, you know, with the kids, with the grandkids, because they're going to love me, and I'm going to love them, and they'll love hanging out with me, mostly. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that um, 
it's very, very important to realize that, and, and this is what he's saying here, remember, this is a Hebrew idiom and custom, is children, even though it's very sweet of Doyle and very sweet of Lily, uh, to so kindly think of us in our older years to want to care for us, to want to take care of us, to want to provide for us, to want to protect us, to want to, want to give us a place to live and a purpose and security and all these things. Really, according to Hebrew tradition, it doesn't work that way. It's parents save for their children. Parents look out for their children. What is he doing here? What is Paul Shaul? What is Shaul doing here? He's using the custom, he's using idiomatic speech to say, I don't need you to care for me. I'm caring for you. And by doing that, he's doing what? He's not subjecting them, but he's putting them, to some degree, in their place. He's saying, you're still but kids yet. You're still but kids you're such children. You're squirrely, as they say down where I'm from. That boy's right squirrely. Well, as a covering. So Susan says, uh, and that is a very good point, a covering. But what do parents do? They cover their children. How, how many times, exactly, how many times have your parents protected you from things you didn't even know? And conversely, it's Mother's Day. How many mothers have protected their children? Children have no idea what they've been protected from. Mom and dad protect the kids, and yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no telling. There's no book. You know, I did this for you. When the child says, when they're about 14 or 15 years old, I hate you. I hate you. You know, you don't get out that little book or that little video and show them. Really, you hate me? Because guess what? Here's a video of you running into the street when I skinned my knees, knowing I had somewhere to be, and I jumped in front of you, and I hurt myself, and that hurt me for two. It still hurts. My ankle still hurt. I skinned my knee, and it hurt my ankle. It still hurts. You know what? I did that for you. How about that? How about when you really, 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 really liked that particular boy or that particular girl, and you said she's the best, he's the best, blah, 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 and, and you know, when I said, no, you're not, you're not, that's, that person isn't of caliber. For you to date, you to see, you spend time with, and you hated me. You told me how much you hated me. Now look where that person is. That person's in prison. That person beats on their spouse. That person does this or does that. How many times have I protected you? You can you don't show them that video, right? What do moms usually say? Look, I gave birth to you. I brought you into this world. I take you out of this world. Yeah, I know a lot of people say it. I know a lot of people say it. You know, and uh, you know, uh, I have some black friends, and what they say is uh, the, the black moms and grandmoms, they say, don't make me get my purse. I will get my purse. I don't know what's in the purse, but something is in the pocketbook. Yeah, something is bad. So he's, yeah, like Medea. We know what Medea has in her pocketbook. She has a piece. She runs strapped all the time. So here's the thing. He is setting a really important standard here. He's saying, I'm looking after you, folks. I don't need your stuff. I don't need you to raise me. I'm trying to help you. He's not bragging. He's not saying, hey, look how mature I am, because he says all the time, look, I've got so much to learn. When we sum this up here in a minute, uh, you'll see that he is actually saying he's very humble. Shaul is very humble, but he has to say it how it is. Nothing I hate worse in churches, they do this all the time, is false 
humility, false humility. There's nothing worse than fake humility. Somebody says, you know, somebody gets up and sings, uh, and they sing beautifully, and and you just you're so moved by it, you're so touched by it. Maybe somebody plays the piano so beautifully. Uh, have you ever been to a church? You know, in Southern Baptist churches and churches in the South, they do this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. They do this a lot. Uh, they uh, they'll have. Yeah, who's been to revival? Radio Land, raise your hand. Who's been to revival? Anybody been to a revival? Nobody here has been to a revival. I'm about to have me one. Yeah, yeah. So people have been to revival, and so so here's the thing. And I know there's like twelve thousand people in Radio Land. Last week, do you know how many people listened to this? You guys have any idea? By the way, this has nothing whatsoever to do with it. Uh, we had almost thirteen thousand eight hundred and twenty people listen to this program. You believe that? Praise God. We had people in Belgium, Switzerland. We had two people in France. Listen, a couple in Germany. And we had a bunch of military guys got together, and this is their Bible study. So who y'all to the military guys out there? And lady. There's a military lady there, too. I guess what uh, the point I want to get across, and I think I think is really, 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 really important to get across here, is this. Well, let me let me finish about the chalk drawing. Yeah, who has ever seen that? Anybody gets up there and does a chalk drawing? Usually at revivals, it's a long time ago. Chalk drawings. They start off, man. They're doing it, and the revival preacher, you know, the evangelist, he's up there and he's preaching hellfire and brimstone, spits coming out of his mouth, and and uh, he's banging on the pulpit and everything, good hard preaching, and uh, salvation message and all this. And then, meanwhile, this person, usually his wife, is over here doing a. A chalk drawing, and by the end, whoever brought the most people, whoever filled the pew, gets the, this chalk drawing, and everybody wants it, you know? Everybody wants that thing, because you know what? It starts off as just a mess, and then as as the sermon goes on, my lands, this transforms into the most beautiful drawing or painting you've ever seen in your life. I remember as a kid... Uh, experiencing that, and I also remember getting the opportunity to go up to that person afterwards and saying, I've never seen anybody do anything like that in my life. That's the coolest, most amazing thing I've ever seen. What a what a blessing to be able to do that. And I remember, I remember distinctly uh, two different experiences. I had two experiences like that where I complimented the person, where they were clearly extraordinarily talented. One said, oh, no, you know, only by the Lord, only by the Lord. Only by the Lord. Oh, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. You know, they just deferred me off of my compliment. They never even addressed my compliment. And then I know other people, this one other person, uh, and she, she is with the Lord now. She's going to her reward. But I remember she was, um, she had long, wavy blonde hair. She had down past her rear end. It was just absolutely amazing. And she, she always drew in a white uh, dress. It was always very... Um, uh, very feminine, very ladylike, very elegant. And I'm thinking to myself, you are painting. I think she was a painter. I don't think she was using chalk. But you're painting. How in the world are you doing this and you don't get this mess all over you? But I can imagine she went through a lot of dresses before she got it down pat. So here's the thing. I remember going up to her and I remember saying to her, wow, I, I just tell you, I, that just is stunning to me what you just did. I am blown away and amazed at what you just did. And you know what she said to me? She said, God has blessed me with talent so that I can turn that blessing into a blessing for others. And I feel God gave me this wonderful talent 
so that I could bless him through you. She gave me a little sermon. Whoa, set me back a little bit. And I, I almost was saying, can you repeat that? Because it, it, was, it was not false humility. It was humility, but it wasn't false humility. Anyway, has nothing to do with the sermon other than, listen, folks, if someone compliments you on something, even if it's food, you know, we bring a lot of food over, uh, you know, when we get together, wherever we get together, a lot of food. It's always good fellowship and fun. Um, and if somebody makes a great dish, I know Sean and Angie aren't able to be here, but uh, a lot of times Sean will make a dish and uh, I'll just be blown away. Um, uh, Bonnie just arrived. And what do you think of when you think of Bonnie? Challah bread. Oh, man, you know. Just so incredible. And brownies today, very much like challah bread. Uh, so the thing is, is, different people bring different things. Remember when the Tassels, I think the Tassels down in Tennessee are listening. Remember when the Tassels were here, and they used to bring all those things, and, and uh, they, they, they both have, have lost a ton of weight. They look amazing. And, but they used to bring these really healthy things that are really, um, just really, really pretty, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Um, the deviled eggs, the brownies, all these different We say, wow, good job. Now, what does Joe always say? Because I know they're probably listening. Joe always says, oh, I didn't make that. I bought that. <laughs> you know, she don't want to take credit where credit isn't due, but she thought enough to, to bring it. And she does make good stuff, too. I, I'm using food as an example, but what else could it be? It could be any number of things. I love for people to learn just how it was intended in our founding, for people to use the Holy Scriptures to learn to read, and to learn to write. That was in our plan, in our founding. That was all we needed was that. That's all we needed was that. That's it. That's all we needed. Anyway, not for nothing, but we'll go on to 15. I I could preach on that one verse all night long. And as for me, I will most gladly spend. Remember he said, I didn't want all your stuff. I don't want any of your stuff. I don't want anything you own. I want you. I will gladly, I will most gladly spend everything I have and be spent myself to for your sakes. What does that mean? In Hebrew, what does that mean? I will, I will most gladly spend everything I have and be spent myself. He will, he will give his life his last breath, his last uh, shekel, his last thread of clothing, his last word I'll give for you and for your sakes. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Don't miss that. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? How much love is enough? How much love is enough? You know, I've asked you how much proof is enough. Who are we to convince I've asked you how much strength is enough. I've asked you how much grace is enough, how much power is enough. And yet, Shaul here is saying, as for me, I will most gladly spend everything I have and be spent myself too for your sakes. I will give it all to bless you, to teach you, to instruct you, to correct you. I'll give it all. Let it be granted, then, that I was not a burden to you, but, crafty fellow that I am, I took you with trickery. 
Was it perhaps through someone I sent you that I took advantage of you? I urged Titus to go and send the brother with him. Titus didn't take it, did not take advantage of you, did he? Didn't we live by the same spirit and show you the same path? In other words, was our story the same? Was our message the same? Were we, uh, did, did what he, I say, was it corroborated by him? What I'm saying, was it corroborated by him? What he's saying, was it corroborated by me? Are the two messages cohesive? Do they match? Do they fit? That's what he means there by the same spirit. The same spirit of the living God, Adonai Elohim, in him. What, what is in, what drives Titus, drives me. He's saying that we, he's linking himself with Titus, saying I'm, what he would give, I would give, and what I would give, he would give. We'll give all of ourselves for this. Perhaps you think, that all this time we have been defending ourselves before you. No, we have been speaking in the sight of God as those dear united with the Messiah should. And my dear friends, it is all for your upbuilding. This dude was under some serious questioning, some serious pressure, some serious, uh, I don't know, the allegations are probably the right way, but there were certainly rumblings within the church. I'm using air quotes for the radio audience. The church. Do you think they knew they were the church, by the way, that we would look back on all these years later? Remember what I said. They didn't think they'd live that long. They didn't think. They thought Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they thought that he, through the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, would come back. They never thought it would ever be here. They thought before they died, he would come. But in that space and time, they said, no, we have been speaking in the sight of God. In other words, what is the closest, the most sincere, the most serious examination we can ever have? God's. You know, we can talk a good game, and we can say our faith. And, and, I, and I'm going to say this, and, and uh, you know, there have been times, I'll just be real with you, there have been times in my life where my faith looked a lot more real, a lot bigger, a lot better, a lot bolder, a lot stronger than it really was. And then there were other times where it maybe didn't look like so much, and yet I was unwavering. I knew in whom I believed, and I was persuaded that he was able. No matter my need, I knew he could solve it. There were times where I didn't look like I had that level of faith, and yet I did. And there were times where I looked at and people said to me, oh, I wish I had your faith, Sean, Dr. Sean, Ninja Pastor, whatever they call me, dude. You know, there have been times where people said that. I don't know. I, I wish I had your faith. And I think in my, in my oh, I don't want to cause this brother or sister to stumble, stumble and tell them, look, I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling with this or that. Or I'm struggling. Look, I've never struggled with believing whether or not once I place my faith, my faith in Christ and, and I believe that God is the creator, not was the creator, is the creator of this universe. Once I believe that, that never wavered. I never struggled with that. But where sometimes my faith struggled is, is what am I supposed to do, God? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to serve? Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to go to this place? Am I supposed to... 
And you can put bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. There were times where people would come up to me, honestly. People would come up to me and say, wow, if I could just have your faith, my life would be so much easier. And I thought to myself in my mind, hoo hoo, you don't want this path. You don't want this path. And I'm sure some of you probably have experienced that yourselves. I want to talk really, really super fast about the defending ourselves before you. Perhaps you think all this time we have been defending ourselves before you. Have you ever felt you you had to present your case for faith? Have you ever felt that you truly and genuinely had to prove and convince who and what you are in Christ and in your faith? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the need... Uh, earlier today, we were talking a little bit about apologetics, you know, uh, standing for the faith, proving the faith, substantiating the faith. And um, and I always think of this. Who am I trying to convince? Who am I trying to convince? Uh, you know, who do I have to convince of my faith? Who do I have to convince that I'm the believer that I say that I am and that I have in my heart the deepest love for God and love of Yeshua? and trust and faith in him. Who is it that I'm trying to convince? Where we get tripped up, those points of shaky faith, is when we start trying to convince man, people in the natural. We get tripped up on that when we try to do that. When we try to convince them of our our theology, when we try to convince them of uh, the doctrine of our faith, when we try to convince them, we tell them, we let them make the decision for themselves. If they want to stumble, it's their free will. They have the free will. It's just, it's an interesting thing. I think that um, sometimes as Christians, we're too defensive. I'll say this, we all stumble. I know I do. I stumble lots, lots and lots and lots. And you know what? So what? So what? Everybody stumbles. And and sometimes in in, uh, the postmodern church, I think is a little bit different in that um, now they've wiped away every, every air quote, sin, hurt, habit, or hang-up thing against God. They've wiped away all those things because the more we wipe those, it's a very left thing. You know, Andy Stanley, have you guys heard that Andy Stanley at North Point Church, my good friends, the, the Hastons have attended that church for many years down in uh, Georgia, near uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He's uh, a... a uh, a very leftist publication published uh, what was presented to be an interview with Andy Stanley, when actually it's just they took bits and pieces of uh, statements that he made to present it as though there is a divide between Andy Stanley and his father, Charles Stanley. North Point is known to be very, air quotes, gay-friendly, LGBT-friendly, because they don't send anybody out. They say, come as you are. Let God change you. Uh, Andy Stanley has made some statements that say, look, I, I think it's a chromosomal thing. I, I think some people do indeed choose that lifestyle, but I think most of the people, look, you can't look at Bruce Jenner and say, you know, if, if you know anything about Bruce Jenner, this man has been in struggle his whole life. And I don't know, uh, I just don't know. I'm not in their head, and, and I can't say I'm not a scientist, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that I can't look at Bruce Jenner and say that there's something missing. There's something seriously missing in his heart, in his life, but also, I think, in his body. I'm not making an excuse for it, but I'm just saying to you, Andy Stanley, uh, this has been presented as though Andy Stanley and 
dad have a rift now, which is nothing could be further from the truth. They are vastly different. Those of you who know Charles Stanley, In Touch Ministries, and Andy Stanley, tr- you can't even picture how they're related, but they're father and son. Andy Stanley is uh, pastoring one of the largest churches in America, one of the most successful churches in America. Successful, air quotes, successful, but they do a lot of amazing things there. I've been to the church. It, it is an absolutely amazing experience, and they do a lot there. Here's what I'm saying about that. A lot of times we feel defensive. We get put on the defensive um, by people who are either not believers or people who have believed what they've believed. They've never challenged their faith. They've never studied. They've never gone any deeper than somebody told them that this is what we believe and that's what they believe. You know what? Don't defend yourself against them. Let that go. Let them do their thing. You continue to invest in your faith and invest in others who have an ear to hear. If they don't have an ear to hear, it's not your job to convince them. It's God's. Okay. Perhaps you think that all this time we have been defending ourselves before you. No, we have been speaking in the sight of God as those united with the Messiah should. And, my dear friends, it is all for your upbuilding. For I am afraid of coming and finding you not the way I want you to be. This is Shaul speaking to the congregation, and also of not being found the way you want me to be. Very powerful statement that goes both ways. Look, I'm afraid of coming, because when I come there, I'm afraid y'all are going to be so jacked up, so twitterpated, so twisted sideways, that you can't, I I just won't believe it, and and I'll lose hope. And you know what else? I'm afraid that when I come, that you'll look at me and go, this dude... He doesn't measure up. I am afraid of finding quarreling and jealousy and anger and rivalry, slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder. Let me read those again. Quarreling. I'm afraid of finding quarreling and jealousy, anger and rivalry, slander and gossip, arrogance and disorder. How much quarreling and jealousy, anger and rivalry, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder is enough? You know, nothing changes sometimes until, how did we be founded as a country? United States of America. We quarreled. We said we don't like it. You know, when you when you hang with Jewish folk, true Jewish folk, you realize that argumentative is a positive. That when you take classes from a Jewish professor, a truly Jewish professor, if you don't ask questions, uh, Dr. Eli Lazorkin, uh, to me, the best professor I've ever had, um, he said if, if he puts it out for questions at the end of the lecture and it's the sound of crickets, he's like, well, I'm going to lose my job. And he's the head guy. He's the top dog. So he's not really going to lose his job. But he says, you know, because if you don't have a question, clearly I didn't compel you to think I want to. I'm going to train you to be thinkers, and studiers, and theologians. I don't want to train you to just go. Okay, good enough for me. Sure, the history of the Talmud is it's the argument back and forth, the 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 sheen and the stretching. Good lands. What time is it? You know, I don't know. I I, I should. I know I shouldn't preach for longer than than uh, three days. Who said that? Y'all aren't right. Twelve minutes. We got twelve minutes. I'm a hurry. Yeah, remember 
I said he wants to have a place where for me to stay and everything. That's called the shed of his house. So, uh, anyway, how much how much quarreling and jealousy and anger and rivalry, slander and gossip, arrogance and disorder is enough? You know, sometimes you got to go through some stuff. You got to go through some disagreement. If I never disagree with somebody, then I then I you know, if you have a friend you never have a disagreement with, you think. Are we really talking about real stuff here? Are we really being real? Am I really being real? I have a dear friend that I argue with a good bit, but yet we're dearest friends because we deal with the real stuff. We talk about real things, challenging things, uh, We, but we also enjoy a beautiful relationship spanning many, 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 many years. So, but But if your friendship is real, if your worship is real, if your faith is real, it can withstand that. Folks, God can stand you saying, God, I don't understand this. I am struggling with this. I am frustrated. God can handle that. God can handle that. And that is as in the times of Scripture when, and I say that, I say that carefully, the times of Scripture. When are the times of Scripture? Right now. The people say in Bible times. It is Bible times right now. It is Bible times right now. So here's the thing. I'm just, I just want to encourage you to, to recognize that sometimes that stuff happens. Listen, I would rather have that all going on, Shaul to have a place to go and people to fix, than for there to have been no church. For the, for the people in Corinth to say, you know what, it's too hard. It's too hard. We've got too much against us. There's too much risk. We don't understand. I would rather have the challenges because out of the challenges, it's a refining fire. Now, you can't stay like that. You know, a lot of churches have the little saying, come just as you are. I always want to go in there and spray paint, but don't stay. Let God change you. Don't stay the way you are because that's the whole purpose of it. There are no perfect people in church, but we can't we can't stay the way we are. Anyway, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me in your presence. Man, is that standard ever high? Is that standard ever high? I wonder if we apply that to ourselves. Remember what I said. Who is it that we are to prove our faith to? Remember I said at the beginning, Do you ever? Who, would your faith convince or convict you? I have a newsflash for you. Stop trying to convince people around you of your faith. And if you're one of the convictors, if you're one of the religious Rottweilers, stop trying to convict people. Stop trying to convince them. Stop trying to convict them. Shaul says, I'm afraid when I come again, my God may humiliate me in your presence and that I will be grieved over many of those who sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, fornication, debauchery, that they have engaged in. How much repentance is enough? This is this will be the third time. This is chapter 13. This will be the third time I have come to visit you. Any charge must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now here's the thing. Any charge must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Um, this is Shaul applying the biblical Jewish evidential standard of Deuteronomy 19.15 in a non-Jewish legal context. Do you understand what I'm saying here? 
He is applying standard. Deuteronomy, we, we know Deuteronomy to be the Old Testament. The Old Testament. But he's applying it here in a non-Jewish legal context. Therefore, it cannot be said as some Christians, this is what David Stern uh, says, and I'm quoting, Therefore, it cannot be said, as some Christians do, that the Torah's civil law was abolished by the New Testament. Because here we are, he's writing most of the New Testament, and he's applying the law of Torah, the evidentiary standard based in Torah. You know, let's go back to the Old Testament, test the tether to the New Testament. You know, you all know how I like that. I like it because it presents context. Deuteronomy 19 starts in 15. One witness alone will not be sufficient to convict any person, convict a person of any offense or sin of any kind. The matter will be established only if there are two or three witnesses testifying against them. Let me say this. This, you know, I'm God in country, the collision of faith and politics is my radio show tomorrow, four to six. Let me say this as a as a political statement, but also as a statement of our decline as a people and as of an, as a nation. Apparently, the inverse of this biblical standard is not true in our age, because in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, when one non-police witness to Freddie Gray's police contact, the only witness other than the police officers, a prisoner, he was the one witness to Freddie Gray's police contact, said he saw nor heard the police do anything wrong and did not injure Gray. Rather, Gray was seemingly trying to injure himself. These six officers, despite a statement by the one person that was there, are not exonerated. In fact, they are charged. And yet, there is a witness to their defense, not against them. Otherwise, there are no witnesses. Their stories, told six times, a bunch of different ways, has been exact. There have been no, no variables. If a malicious witness, back to the scripture, if a malicious witness, now, when you say malicious witness, what is their intent? What do they intend? Comes forward and gives false testimony against someone, then both the men involved in the controversy are to stand before Adonai, before the Kohanim, this means the priests, and the judges in office at the time. Let me say this. The standard of truthfulness was set in scripture. And yet we hear politicians now, when they get caught in a lie, what do they say? I misspoke. I misstated. I misunderstood. I got that wrong. Not I lied. That's the standard. Think about what's being said here. Before Adonai, before the Kohenim, and the judges in the office at the same time, the judges are to investigate carefully. We're back to Deuteronomy. The judges are to investigate carefully, not politically, but carefully. If they find that the witness is lying and has given false testimony, hang on to your hat, false testimony against his brother, you are to do to him what he intended to do to his brother. You all remember last week my conversation about intent. Sometimes we are to discern the intent of someone. And we are to take decisive action upon our conclusions. Back to the scripture. In this way, you will put an end to such wickedness among you. Those who remain will hear about it, be afraid, and no longer commit such wickedness among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Folks, let me tell you something. You know why people lie? 
Because we let them get away from get away with it. You know why people steal? Because we let them get away. We've devalued everything but their personal right to be aggrieved for something and to come and to take and to steal and to harm. We're, hang, hang on one second. Hang on just one second. Biblically speaking, this is how we should be dealing with ISIS. Preemptively. This is how we have to deal with them. We have to deal with ISIS this way. You say, what's this have to do with Bible teaching? Folks, we've been told what we're supposed to do in the Scripture. We've been told how to deal with these people. We've been told that they would come, and they came. They're here among us. What they do in Texas? Well, they got their cranium ventilated, but... Ultimately, where there is where is those two, there are many more. Many more. We're told how to deal with it. Anyway, back to the Second Corinthians story. To those who sinned in the past, and to the rest I say beforehand, while absent, the same thing. I said when I was with you the second time, if I come again, I will not spare you since you are looking for proof of the Messiah speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. For although he was executed on a stake in weakness, now he lives by God's power. Amen. And we too are weak in union with him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by God's power. Examine yourselves to see whether you are living. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Yeshua is the Messiah in you? unless you fail to pass the test. But I hope you will realize that we are not failures, and we pray to God that you will do nothing wrong. We are not concerned with our appearing successful, but with your doing what is right, even if we appear to be failures. For we cannot act against the truth, only for it. So we rejoice whenever we are weak, and when you are strong, and you are strong. Indeed, when we pray for what we pray for, is that you become perfect. I write these things while away from you so that when I am with you, I will not have to use my authority to deal sharply with you. For the Lord gave it to me for building up and not tearing down. And now, brothers, shalom. Put yourselves in order. Pay attention to my advice. Be of one mind. Live in shalom. And the God of love and shalom will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people send greetings to you. The grace of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. So it is clear that next week I will have to finish this up. Whoever had the Vegas odds that I would, you won. Either you won or you didn't win anything because, quite frankly, I'm not so sure that anybody would bet. God bless you. Join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock, blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. Thank you for joining us. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country.
thank you for joining us in this fight.